Bearcast presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture and Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The Bearcast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And good afternoon. Welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com, on 365 Sports and the YouTube page. And uh, however you're accessing us, we do appreciate it on this Tuesday, April the 11th. A lot to get to this week, as always, when it comes to the ongoing storylines and news pieces and just changes uh, with Baylor Athletics, basketball, football, uh, all sorts of things to talk about this week. I'm Craig Smoke, joined as always by Grayson Grundhafer. Got Garrett Ross behind the scenes producing and directing and doing all that good stuff, making sure that we're on the air as well. And do appreciate uh, those guys. And Grayson, uh, well, I appreciate you as I've already gotten out of the way here. But uh, how's your how's your week been? Yeah, I think it's been a good week. I wouldn't say that it's been one of those weeks that was filled with a ton of information, but there was, you know, some things to look at and think about. I, I think really right now has been a time about kind of just looking forward uh, to many seasons. Even though spring football is going on, I feel like there's a lot of excitement about the potential for basketball and kind of what the new rosters could look like. So that's been fun. And obviously, you know, we'll be back at practice again today to see some more spring football as well as that continues to roll on spring game in what 11 days yes so uh, there is the green and gold game coming up not this saturday but next saturday i uh, got five practices remaining and then that will be the sixth so to speak of the 15 so yeah 15 uh, almost done uh, less than two weeks to go now for uh, the spring football practice schedule which is kind of hard to believe given that it seemed like it just sort of started but i don't know it's been it's been kind of winding on and it's been good it's been informative but it's uh you know also not the regular season which is what we all love so much but it's been a nice thing to kind of tide you over and give you a glimpse into uh, what's going on right now and I guess we'll start there we've got a little bit of everything to get to this week but uh, last week I guess with football there was supposed to be three sessions and there only ended up being two um, but they were the corners and the safeties and when it came to the corners you had uh, Kevin Curtis, assistant coach. You had what Tevin Williams the third, and you had Isaiah Dunson, the new transfer from Miami. Uh, over on the safety side, they went with Matthew Pallage, of course. Uh, so we kind of got the defensive coordinator talk slash safeties talk with him, uh, and kind of cover everything with him. Uh, and he was really good and informative. But it was joined by uh, the stars, uh, Bryson Jackson, and uh, converted AJ McCarty. Uh, AJ from the cornerback spot, Bryson Jackson from the outside linebacker spot. So we got a, a glimpse last week into the secondary. And like I just mentioned, those two guys at star are 
moved. Uh, mm-hmm. Bryson Jackson now in his seventh year, so you got the super veteran. But both of those guys have moved over. Uh, Matt Pouch, you know, we hear about him. We hear about the energy piece. Uh, we hear about just the fact that everybody just seems like they're having a little bit more fun this go-round. Uh, and then on the corner side of things, I think that what really stood out was uh, Kevin Curtis talking about how much they're working on their man coverage and a lot of focus on being better man-to-man. But um, So we heard from all those guys. Was there anything in particular that, that was notable for you, stood out to you, that's uh, you know, a part of the, the spring storyline or just the overall changes for this team heading into 2023? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the biggest storyline, honestly, was – you know how honest some of these guys were um especially about what happened last year with ron roberts it felt like tevin williams and aj mccarty both kind of spoke on how you know they're maybe having i don't know if you'd say more fun this year but i think they definitely feel more comfortable in what they're asked to do this year um i I think that there's a new energy for this defense and i think that's really important probably the most important thing that i heard in all the talks is just i I think there's a genuine sense of happiness on the defensive side aj mccarty mentioned that as well and it was a really tough year for him a year ago yeah um really tough there were high expectations and he just simply could not live up to them um last year playing cornerback but he mentioned the fact that he feels so much more comfortable at safety and i think he is a player that I think does a lot better when he can see the ball in front of him as opposed to having to play cornerback where it's you and a man on an island. He struggled with that. I think it was also a part of Ron Roberts playing a lot of zone defense. So you're having to think a lot, and it wasn't just man-to-man all the time. You weren't able to play press coverage, and I think that really impacted him. So I'm happy for him to make that move. I think he complements Bryson Jackson pretty well in what they can and can't do. Um, So I think you could see a little bit of a rotation there. I still believe Bryson Jackson will be the starter there. I think that he brings too much to the table, especially as a pass rusher um, and stopping the run uh, that I think will be really important. But I think AJ will have a role as well. It's also weird to think about that AJ is a veteran. I mean, he's a redshirt junior. He's an older guy. That's the thing I was when kind of pouring through what to write about and what to include and what not to include. Um, I, I think one of the main takeaways for me was just everybody's new, basically. I mean, like the star position is going to be all brand new guys. The corners, Tevin Williams is like a veteran now, basically, and he's not a veteran. No. Um, Chateau Reed is like your super senior, and barely he's barely played, played yeah. um, at corner. Your safeties, uh, you lose Christian Morgan. Really, the only guy you have back that's like notable is Devin Lemire. So of the Who's five <laughs> positions, the five positions that you have on the field – like one guy's really played a lot, and he's not even practicing right now yeah. in full because he's hurt, as you just mentioned, with Devin Lemire. And he's not even that much of a veteran either, mm-hmm. like when you really think one about year. it. So, yeah, um, your best guess as to how the secondary performs overall just because of those unique traits of being so young and so inexperienced and everybody kind of learning something new and having a new coach and and all that comes with that. But I do think that there is just an overall better attitude. And Matt Pallage seems to uh, pretty easily, you know, win over his guys and they seem to want to play hard for him and seem to enjoy playing for him. So I, I do think that will help bridge that gap. But it is notable of just how young and inexperienced that, that back – you know, group of uh, of defensive backs is. It really is. And I, I will say I 
did gain some confidence in what I heard from Isaiah Dunson. Mm -hmm. Um, You want to talk about a guy that seems very confident in what he can bring to the table, especially he just seems to, he lit up when you talked about press coverage. When someone asked him about that, he was like, yeah, like that's what I do. And just an excitement level of just, hey, you know, my man versus me. This is what it is, and he seemed very confident in that. So I definitely got a better sense of kind of who he is and what he could bring to the table as a player, and that confidence and kind of that mindset and attitude, they didn't have that last year. Like, Lorando Johnson, uh, sort of, but not to the level that I think they really need from their cornerbacks. And I I think Dunson might be able to bring that to the table. Uh, Tevin, a really good athlete, so curious how he kind of molds and transforms um, himself this offseason. Because a lot of talent, we saw the interception against Texas Tech, but got to be more consistent. Got to put it all together, find a way to become a full-time starter, which he has not done quite yet. And it's also clear that they are not going to basically risk the entire defense and team just to try and keep the dam from breaking this year. I mean, they're they're going to probably have to do what they can to protect themselves in certain ways. But like last year, they wouldn't even attempt to try and get too aggressive in the back end because they were so fearful of getting burnt deep and just like blowing the big play and... I mean, I don't know about you, but I think it costs them at times. I mean, being a little bit too fearful. I know they're trying to protect, you know, the overall foundation, but I don't think that could have cost them on on some occasions. And so uh, not going to be as as, as aggressive as maybe it sounds, but they're going to be more aggressive than they were last year. And if that means some guys get burned, especially early on, then that's just going to be part of the deal, I think, because you really don't have a choice. I mean, you can't sacrifice the rest of the defense – and, and play it safe, so to speak. Right. Now, I think a big problem last year was the fact that they ran all this soft coverage. And I think the thought was, hey, but you know what? Our defensive line is going to get a lot of pressure. And that way, if it does take them time to find the holes in the zone, hey, we'll have a sack by then. That didn't happen. And so, yeah, I do think that change of mindset will help them play more aggressive. I think, in general, guys like to play more aggressive, more physical, more, I think, quicker. I think you can play quicker when you're playing that way. Um, So, yeah, I think that'll help. So, I was very encouraged. I I think it's a young group. I think they're going to have problems at times. They they will. They'll give up some big plays. But I also think this is a group that's very focused on um, the little things, very focused on playing aggressive, very focused on creating turnovers. Uh, That was mentioned ad nauseum and has been since Dave Randa really got to Baylor. Um, But, yeah, I I think I grew some confidence there um, from hearing Matthew Pallage and Kevin Curtis and kind of the guys in that room. Yeah, so the uh, secondary was uh, really the the focus last week. As I mentioned, the couple practices, there was supposed to be a third practice, and then that didn't go off because of uh, – or I guess it did, but Ma- – Mateo spoke with the O-line. Did he? Oh, I guess I missed that for Yeah, some at the end of the week, he spoke with Clark Barrington, Gavin Byers, and Tate Williams. That okay. I think that was on Saturday. Then that's why I'm not thinking yeah. of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about Saturday because I was out of pocket and, and wasn't even yeah. around. So, yeah, so then they spoke as well. Yeah, they spoke towards the end of the week. I, I felt like it was pretty insightful, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, we just mentioned a young group with corners and safeties. I mean, geez, the offense line's replacing all five starters. Right. I mean, it, it's a lot of new faces in that room. And, you know, getting to hear from Clark Barrington, hear how his transition has been to center. Uh, because during his time at BYU, he had 40 career starts. Almost all of them came at left guard. He's been asked to play center, 
this spring, um, and that's the role that he's going to fill for now. Uh, we'll see if Baylor addresses the position in the portal. Uh, if they do, I think it would be to take a center and then potentially move him to guard. Maybe they look at tackle, but center is the one that I, I'm kind of really curious about. Um, I think they're going to give Clark a shot. If it doesn't work out, then, I mean, they know what they have in him at guard, an elite player at guard. So that was intriguing. Tate Williams moving from tackle to guard, something I've mentioned a lot uh, this spring. He looks like a guy who could, you know, fill in as a starter uh, at right guard potentially. Um, And then Gavin Byers taking that step as a leader. He's a guy who's got a lot of starts, hasn't become a full-time starter during his career, but has basically been like the sixth man for what, two or three years now? Yeah. Um, and has had to play a lot, whether it's at tackle or guard. He's filling in at guard right now. I think that's where he's going to be a starter at. Um, so, yeah, a lot of good conversation from those guys. I would also say one more intriguing thing on the O-line conversation was they talked about the uh, young guys in the room and called them athletic freaks who have taken, taken a big step forward by young guys. Specifically, the conversation was basically about the redshirt freshmen. So that big class that they took a year ago with Timothy Don, Colton Price, George Maye, Caden Siraki, and Alvin Evosele as being all guys who have taken a big step forward, who they have a lot of confidence in, and who are growing every single day. I, I think that's very intriguing as well because there are concerns about depth because they are so young, uh, but it seems like the conversations have all been really good with all those guys filling in kind of important roles in the two deep. Yeah, that got lost in the wash for me and heading out of town and all yeah. that. It was on Thursday. Now, looking back oh, at okay. it, so I'll need to um, go revisit that some. But, uh, yeah, missed that heading out of town. Uh, so this week, that's covered uh, pretty much – I mean, we've seen a lot of the bases covered at this point with the O-line checked off, safeties checked off, corners checked off. This week, uh, we've got the uh, outside linebackers with Caleb Collins. Uh, he'll be with Tony and Yanwu and Kyler Jordan. Uh, we'll have that today. And then Thursday, wide receivers, Dallas Baker, along with Monterey Baldwin and Josh Cameron and Hal Presley. And then on Saturday, we'll hear from Dave Aranda for the first time in a little while and uh, Cooper Lands. And uh, that will be the wrap for this week. And then next week, there'll be two practices and then the spring game on okay. Saturday. So we're nearly at the end of the road as far as spring practices go. Haven't been super eventful, but I think there's been a lot of great information. It's just not been like a big, you know, like celebration or parade or big thing. They've just kind of gone about their business. And I think uh, everybody's just kind of following along and tracking because we're all curious about what this is going to look like. But it's been encouraging. And, um, you know, you never know till you really see the product out there. But it certainly seems like there's at least a better feeling around the program than there was at times last year. So that's what's been happening. That's what's headed your way as well. Two more weeks to go and uh, plenty of coverage over on Sikkim365.com as far as the football piece goes. Uh, so there's kind of the, the takeaways, but there's other notes as far as the recruiting side of things. Uh, and we know that uh, it was a roller coaster last year trying to land a cornerback. Uh, you had the year-long commitment of Austin Novosad, who eventually signs with Oregon on the morning of signing day. Don't need to rip that Band-Aid off. They scramble. They get Sawyer Robertson. That seems like it's worked out pretty well. But now they have to turn their attention back to bringing in the next Austin Nova side or the next Sawyer Robertson. And unfortunately, Grayson, their targets as far as high school guys have uh, been getting, um, you know, picked up by 
you know, others uh, instead of, of committing to the Bears uh, and, and landing these said targets. So let's talk about what their focus has been recently, why that's not worked out, and now how they regroup and revisit what's to come in the future, the very near future, uh, hopefully at quarterback. Right. So, I mean, the last signee Baylor had at the quarterback position uh, out of high school is Kyron Drones, which is pretty crazy. That was in 2021. Can you believe that? 2021. Oh, I can at this point. Yeah. I know, but but I don't think people realize, you know, how long it's been. So it's been two cycles that they so far haven't taken a quarterback. We're on the verge of a third. I will caution people. It's still April. Like, there's plenty of time to get a quarterback. The question is, what's the quality of that quarterback at that point? But I would say, so 2022, you had the Zach Pyron thing, which, you know, didn't work out for a variety of reasons. I would say that it was probably a good thing that Baylor ended up not taking him. So, uh, again, I don't think that that's a huge deal to miss on that cycle. Last year was completely unlucky. And the thing people have to remember is Baylor has to swing and take shots. They absolutely do. And Austin Novosad was committed for such a long time. He literally decommitted and flipped on signing day. I mean, the odds of that are infinitely low. Um, And honestly, it's hard to have a backup plan when you're so tied to a quarterback for that long. And it's also hard to keep a quarterback tied in for that long if you're recruiting other quarterbacks. So really, again, I would say another tough situation that's really hard to prepare for. Now, Baylor kind of addressed that and was able to go get Sawyer Robertson and, in my eyes, make up for not getting Austin Novosad, at least the best that you could. This year's been a little weird, right? Because now we're in this cycle and we're kind of seeing here, basically knowing Baylor wants a 2024 quarterback. That's been, I I think, pretty much proven by how many offers they have out, how many guys they've shown interest in, how many guys that, you know, they've offered compared to other cycles. And it just seems like one after another, it's been miss after miss after miss. And so the question is, you know, how big are these misses, right? Like, and to me, when you look at Walker White, Big miss. I think he's going to be a really good quarterback at Auburn. Again, that was one that was going to be very iffy if you're going to land him. I, I think he's going to be a top 10 quarterback in the country when it's all said and done. DJ Lagway. Yes, Baylor legacy. I understand that. But once again, top five quarterback in the country. That's going to be hard for Baylor to land in general. Outside of that, you got Trey Owens who committed to Texas. Again, huge Texas fan growing up. Going to be tough to land. Once you move past that group of quarterbacks, you got to start asking yourself, okay, how good is Deuce Adams, who just committed to Louisville? How good is Haas Haney, who just committed to TCU? How good's Marcos DeVia, who committed to Purdue? And how good's maybe Mabry Matuire, who committed to Wisconsin? Like, how good really are they? Are they quarterbacks that you just can't stand to lose, or are they just quarterbacks who you could find another one in a month or so? Or you could find one out of state who's just as good as them? I think the odds are actually fairly high that they can. And so I don't think we should all be pushing the panic button on this because I don't necessarily think the quarterbacks they've quote-unquote missed out on have been, you know, that they actually had a realistic chance of landing. I don't think these guys have been some, you know, in two years they're going to be like an All-American in the Big 12. Like, I don't see that. And so therefore, you take your time, you find a guy you really like, you bring him in, you develop him, while also potentially using the transfer portal to find guys who have more upside than the guys that they missed on. Now, is it discouraging to miss on high school quarterbacks time and time again? Sure. Is it the end of the world? Absolutely not. 
Yeah, I mean, the transfer portal allows you to be able to make up for, you know, those losses, uh, however big or small they might be. As we saw with uh, Austin Novosad, they were able to – they had to scramble, but they were able to grab Sawyer Robertson eventually. But it's at least somewhat concerning, though, because you start to wonder, like, is this an NIL deal? Is this – what is this that you can't suddenly land a high school quarterback? I mean, um, I understand that, you know, it's – part of just other schools have mojo too it's some coaches elsewhere who are just great recruiters too it's quarterback situations um and now you know it's not as ideal that you see a guy like Blake Shapin who's got at least a couple years left and Sawyer Robertson's got you know uh what four years three three years remaining um but yeah I mean you, you would like to at least have some depth that could could you know, last you a while, but they've had some, and then it, they don't. Guys don't play, and then they transfer out. So, I mean, I, I don't know what the solution is for for Baylor, but yeah, you don't want to go like three or four years in a row and without landing a true blue high school recruit, which is kind of what they're in danger of doing at this point. And and at that at that stage, it starts to get a little bit worrisome. But yeah, it's not the end of the world, especially not in you know early April because the whole Sawyer Robertson situation occurred in late December and January but you don't want to make that a common routine either of in between signing days trying to land your quarterback i mean that's there's not always going to be a Sawyer Robertson in the portal you know from Texas and ready to come suit up for you and if that's your plan then i just think even if there is a guy from Texas who's you know, transferring from some SEC school, I just think that banking on that's a little bit dangerous because at some point some other guys are going to be in that same situation. And and right now you look around and they're not having any trouble landing quarterbacks, but Baylor for some reason is. So I mean, but they might not be having trouble landing them, but are they going to be able to hold on to them? Because yeah, I mean that's everybody in the country. You know, that's I mean that's everybody is is holding on to them, and and we've seen that to you know the good and the bad. I mean, it's an important question though, because like ba- like you just said, Baylor. I'm not going to say they wasted scholarship spots, but they had guys who never played and then transferred. And there's many schools across the country who just took a guy he never plays and then they transfer. So Again, I'm not saying they shouldn't take high school quarterbacks. I do believe that it is important to, I, I you know, if you want to build your roster the way that I, I think they want to, you want to be able to develop your guys. But on the other hand, I'm like, okay, do you want to develop a three-star guy or do you wait to the portal when you know there are going to be guys who are going to enter the portal? That's going to happen every single year. Like, it, it just is because guys aren't going to be okay with being third on the depth chart for two years. And then you're going to be able to go out and land guys who maybe have a higher ceiling. So there's a give and take process, but I would say like, if you don't land your guys, then I think it becomes very opportunistic to just say, okay, I'm going to pass on this. I'm going to go to the transfer portal and find a guy that I actually like, find my guy. Um, and so, it, you know, if a guy emerges in 2024, I still think the goal is to take one. I, I think that that is the goal. Um, but if they don't find that guy, I think you could find a more talented guy in the portal. So just something to keep an eye on. I know there's been a lot of reaction to this. A lot of people talking about Sean Bell uh, and the job that he's done or Hasn't done a lot of debate about it. Um, but again, I think they're in a good situation with the current roster with Shapin, Robertson, and RJ Martinez at the quarterback position. So if you're feeling good about it this year, it does become a year by year thing now that we're in the transfer portal era, not necessarily anything longer than that in my eyes. Yeah, and I would say too with the high school guys, like I know it hasn't necessarily worked out. I will say though, like 
the guy who could be the starter next year was a high school guy in Blake Shapin, and Kyron Jones didn't play a lot, but he was there in a couple of pinches of need. So, like, just the I'm looking at it from the depth piece as much as anything, too, is just like having the younger high school guy to kind of develop and come along. But I realize it's a different era, but we, we need to move on because I'm sure there will be plenty of quarterback talk throughout the offseason, and uh, still no starter named and not expecting that that will happen anytime soon, you know, or some deadline in two weeks with the green and gold game that, you know, it's going to be Sawyer Robertson or Blake Shape. And I think that actually to name a guy would be malpractice at this point. But um, that that rolls along that competition. Uh, Elsewhere, football-wise, anything on the recruiting front or uh, anything else of note that uh, you want to get – get uh, a little discussion going on from last week. I think recruiting-wise, we'll probably talk more uh, specifically after the spring game when they'll have a lot of visitors. Um, As far as recruiting, there's not a ton to hit on. It's been a pretty kind of quiet period, I would say, for Baylor. They've had recruits on campus over the last few weeks, but um, nothing imminent, nothing crazy yet. There will be a lot of visitors for the spring game, though, and I'm expecting Baylor to, uh, you know, make make a wave, potentially get a commit or two after the spring game and then move forward from there into uh, official visit season. All right, so there's kind of what's going on with football. I ran down what the practice schedule looks like this week with the three practices and who will be speaking. So we'll get a glimpse into the wide receivers, for example. Um, But good to to talk O-line and secondary last week. Um, But, yeah, just two weeks to go before they shut it back down all the way up until – Uh, August and I guess technically July with media days that always sort of feels like the unofficial kickoff in in so many ways but uh, that's that's upcoming that little that dead period so to speak of of football activity although there will be recruiting and camps and and all those sorts of things as well transfer portal how many days are we away that's like four days away four days now transfer portal opening back up yeah I posted a note on that because for a while we were all under the impression that May 1st was going to be the date, and that got changed, I think, last week is where they officially, because it got voted on back in October, but officially got implemented, uh, I believe, a week ago. So, yeah, April 15th through April 30th is now the new transfer portal window. That's a big deal. Um, I posted a note on that, but Baylor spring game is April 22nd. So you're going to have a lot of decisions made during that week from the 22nd to the 30th made from you know, transferring out of Baylor, transferring into Baylor, guys making decisions on if they're going to come back or not. I mean, it's going to be a wild, wild week as Baylor tries to figure out their roster spots. Um, I don't think it's very advantageous at all for Baylor, but clearly is for other programs who've already had their spring game. So elsewhere, basketball, talk about roster spots and things like that. Scott Drew and the Baylor men's team has seen a little bit of turnover already. You had uh, Jordan Turner uh, entering uh, the transfer portal uh, earlier, or I guess I, just, I said earlier last month is actually late March, so only a couple weeks ago, actually, as the uh, season wound down. Uh, but Jordan Turner had entered, and that was no surprise. And then you had a trio of names that also entered the transfer portal last week. Uh, you had Zach Loveday, which no surprise there. He wasn't seeing much of the court. Uh, Dale Bonner also entering the transfer portal. And LJ Cryer entered the transfer portal officially as well. And while Loveday and Bonner and Turner are all still awaiting to see where their next destinations will be, uh, continuing their college careers, LJ Cryer did make his choice. And there was talk about, obviously, Texas Tech and 
you had Kansas State, and those were just like, hey, Grant McCaslin coached at Baylor at one point. They didn't really cross paths, though, so it's just more or less of like, hey, maybe they'd want him. Uh, new staff there, Texas uh, looked into him. Purdue. A bunch of schools looked yeah. into him. Purdue seemed like it would be the favorite because that's where he was going to go originally. And, uh, of course, K-State with Jerome Tang and so on and so forth, but really it was hometown Houston uh, that was – Probably the one that made the most sense, and that's where he lands. He will be in the Big 12 next year, L.J. Cryer, playing against Scott Drew and the Bears at least once, maybe up to three times if it's like the normal schedule, although it will not be the normal schedule, but they might draw Houston twice and then play him in the regular season or play him in the the postseason tournament. Don't know, but they'll play at least once uh, for sure. So Scott Drew looking around the Big 12, and he sees familiar faces growing by the day almost, and now there will be another one. Uh, this time at Houston to join McCaslin at Tech and Tang at K-State and so on. Uh, but your thoughts on L.J. Cryer, who I just saw about an hour ago posting his NIL link for, mm-hmm. you know, Houston's, I guess, Lincoln Cougs or whatever it's called that their NIL uh, service is. But uh, I'm sure that played some into it. The hometown, he's from Katie Morton Ranch. That plays into it, playing in the Big 12. He's accustomed to that, and now he can help the Cougs enter the Big 12. Uh, your thoughts on LJ Cryer to Houston? I hate the transferring within the conference thing. I, I mean, I, I've never been a fan of it. I know it helped Baylor last year with Jalen Bridges, so, mm-hmm. I mean, it cuts both ways, but... I just I think that's kind of ridiculous that that's allowed without seeing out a year. But again, it, it's the rule, so it's fine. And I understand he's more comfortable with the conference. Gets to go to Houston, which is a great program. I, I think he's going to do wonderful things there. And Kelvin Sampson's done a great job with that program. They're consistently really, really good. They were a one seed this year. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's going to be successful. I think it's a good landing spot. And Houston's going to be very, very competitive in year one in the Big 12. Yeah, they should be. I mean, Kelvin Sampson does a great job there, and I've been saying that of all the programs of the four new schools, the one that seems like it'll have, the you would think, the least hard time adjusting, and I'm not getting into, like, track and field and all these areas that I'm not going to pretend to be. Like, I don't know about UCF baseball and how they'll fit in, but Houston basketball seems like it should do pretty well, although they'll take a couple more lumps than they're accustomed to because they're used to basically losing, like, five games a year now at yeah. this point. So that they'll lose more than that, but they'll be right there in the mix, and, and that's an excellent pickup for them. So I'm with you. It's weird to see, but as you acknowledge, you can't sit there and celebrate Jalen Bridges coming over from West Virginia and then boo-hoo over L.J. Cryer going to right. Houston. It's just part of the deal. Um, so there you sit with that. Others still sit in the portal. We'll see how it shakes out for them. But uh, your thoughts on Scott Drew and, and where they are right now as far as this roster goes? Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of things, I guess, that – to just kind of quickly summarize. So we're waiting on news with Adam Flagler. That's become more intriguing. Um, I think at the end of the year, everyone thought he's for sure gone. This was his last year at Baylor. But I think that's changed a little bit. And honestly, I think LJ Cryer leaving might signify that change, the fact that he might be coming back more than anything. Um, Because I think Flagler would take up that point guard role again, like he did this past year. And Gosh, would that be huge for Baylor to get Adam Flagler back uh, for one more year? That would be awesome. Uh, I know Baylor's still looking in the portal uh, for other guys as well as they kind of, they're taking their time, right? Because they got to figure out what's Jalen Bridges going to do because he could leave or come back. Um, Once they figure out those two parts, then they can probably figure out the transfer portal a little bit more. But a few names that have been linked, um, Tyler Perry, 
the guard from North Texas, really good player, averaged 17 points per game this past year, Conference USA Player of the Year. Um, very, very good guard, would make up for the loss of LJ Cryer rather easily. Um, Max Abesmith, who everyone knows about from his run at Oral Roberts, is another name to keep an eye on. He's been a scoring machine um, for that group, which was coached by Paul Mills. A lot of people thought he'd just follow Paul Mills, but Oral Roberts to Wichita State, kind of a, I'm not going to say it's the same level, but it's not a huge difference. I have a feeling he might be trying to go to a quote-unquote Power 5 school Mm -hmm. um, or whatnot. Uh, A name that was mentioned this week that I actually think is very intriguing, I assume he will take a visit uh, coming up pretty soon, is Jaden Nunn, the guard from um, VCU. Uh, 6'4", 190 pounds, averaged about 10 points per game this past year, shot 40% from three, high steal rate, uh, a guy that has a lot of athleticism. I think he could be a great fit for Baylor, has a 6'8 wingspan, so completely different than LJ Cryer as far as his length, his ability to guard, his size, um, and he's a guy who I'm expecting to take a visit to Baylor and could be a guy who um, ends up being a bear sooner rather than later. Um, so if you add him, you bring Adam Flagler back, you bring Jalen Bridges back, and now you're already looking at a very, very good roster uh, going forward. I do think Baylor will look at the transfer portal for a few other guys as well, um, maybe one or two more. Um, but yeah, Jaden Nunn is definitely a name to keep an eye on as well. All right, so there's Scott Drew and the Bears as they navigate the portal, and we now know where LJ Cryer's headed, so... Uh, big news, hopefully good news to come uh, from the Baylor perspective on Jalen Bridges, on Adam Flagler, uh, you know, and their returns, sealing those, cementing those, and being able to rely on uh, having those pieces uh, 100% officially. Uh, but it does seem to be trending in, in those directions. So we'll see how that plays out. You never know what's coming up next around the corner, but at least for now the road looks like it's settling down a little bit. Um, but certainly a long way to go uh, heading into to next year. So that's where we are with the men's basketball side. They're retooling their roster. Same thing can be said for the women's basketball side. Uh, the WNBA draft came and went. That's normally an event that you can expect at least one or two participants from uh, the women's program to you know be impacted in some way or another getting drafted. That was not the case this year. No draft picks. It's only two rounds, but just didn't have anybody that fit the mold this year, although we did learn that uh, Caitlin Bickle, a uh, fan favorite, uh, she has been signed by the Connecticut Sun as an undrafted free agent, so congratulations to her. Doesn't guarantee anything beyond just getting an opportunity, uh, but that is cool to see that she's at least getting that opportunity. So Caitlin Bickle signing with the Connecticut Sun, and then meanwhile, uh, a couple of transfer pickups as they uh, dive into um, the guard spot. Yaya Felder from Ohio and Jada Walker from Kentucky uh, and that's funny after the whole Dreyuna Edwards uh, situation of, you know, trying to get her eligible and whatnot. But uh, another pickup from Kentucky uh, this year, that's Jada Walker. Uh, so two guards uh, now added after uh, last month. You had, what is it, Madison Bent, uh, Bartley from Belmont, who uh, they added. You had Asia Blackwell announced that she was going to be coming back. Uh, Kendra Gillespie went into the transfer portal. Uh, but since then, uh, since she... Uh, did that. You've had Blackwell announce her return, Bartley commit, Felder commit, now Walker commit as well. So it's been a bit of a turnover. I know Garrett, you didn't deep dive. You don't have a ton of information. I don't. I don't need you to 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 
feel like you're taking a test or anything, mm. but just the thoughts on them picking up a couple of guards. I think it's important, and I think it's uh, – me and Grayson were kind of talking before the show about the rotation and what this can do from a depth perspective because that's really what's hindered Nikki Collin in her entire tenure here at Baylor is the depth issues, and I think they were kind of looking at this season expecting to not have that, unfortunately, the injuries and everything. But when you add – um uh, these two to the roster, I think it gives you scoring, which is something you need on the perimeter. I think you need elite scoring in order to make a deep run and to contend for a national championship. Uh, so I think you already lost Jamie Asbury, so being able to fill that void and then just have that depth and create a rotation in the backcourt is going to be significant. I think this helps put them in a position to make a deep run next year. I still firmly believe uh, that they should be exp- ex- I think they should win the Big 12, honestly. I think next year should be the year that they get back to where the standards of Baylor basketball are for most people. Uh, But these are great additions, and they're going to provide to the backcourt, and I expect a lot of scoring uh, on the perimeter next season. Yeah, I think that the way it's shaping up, everybody, I mean, it wins around a 32 this year. Uh, I think, you know, feeling like Sweet 16 at minimum should be like the hard, you know, feeling of of a goal, uh, or at least an expectation, and perhaps for some beyond that. I don't want to get too crazy and start like Elite Eight or, you know, I mean, there's those are still hard to get to. But, yeah, winning one more game than you did this year, given the roster changes, I don't think that that's expecting very much at all. I think that that's just the expectation in general for this program. So, Grayson, what do you think about them picking up a couple of guards? And and he's right. Depth has been an issue the entire Nikki Collin tenure, it seems like. And I know that's only been a couple of years, but they've, they've dealt with some numbers issues for sure. Right, and now they're not dealing with numbers issues at all. I mean, Garrett and I were talking about, I mean, I, we both see 10 deep. 10 deep oh, on yeah. this roster. Yeah, yeah of, of girls that can really play and actually contribute to this team. And now, you know, adding two guards like this, I mean, Yaya Felder averaged 22 points per game last year. I mean, she's a scorer. She was on a really bad team that won six games, but she still put up 22 points being asked to just handle a really high usage, having to take really tough shots, being guarded by the best defender every single night. Now she comes to Baylor, and she's going to be working with Sarah Andrews next to her. She's going to have Asia Blackwell and Dre Edwards. I mean, that she's going to get the best looks of her career. And she was already a 35% three-point shooter while shooting nearly six three-pointers a game. That is massive because these looks are going to be a lot better at Baylor. I expect her to be close to 38%, uh, maybe even more than that, which is something Baylor desperately needed uh, this past year. Now you got a true scoring threat next to Sarah Andrews on the perimeter. And then you go look at Jada Walker. And it's kind of a similar story. She averaged 12.5 points per game, shot 35% from three. Um, So again, another capable guard. She averaged three assists a game. So she's going to be able to pass and be, in my eyes, a really, really key contributor for them, whether that's off the bench in a kind of a six-man type role uh, or as a starter. So two girls that can really score and are going to provide a great scoring punch for this team. And I'm right there with Garrett. I I don't see any reason why this team shouldn't be favored to win the Big 12. I think they're going to be more like a two or a three seed next year. And uh, my expectations are very high. And I I think Nikki Collins' expectations should be high as well. Uh, This is a program that's used to winning. And I think next year is the time for this team to take that step forward towards winning the biggest games on their schedule every year. Yeah, and that's that's 
certainly I feel like the, the building expectation and the growing expectation pretty much across the board, and I'd imagine for Nikki Collin as well, uh, Sarah Andrews, I saw her in a very early mention as far as like the WNBA draft goes for next year. So she's got some help around her. You've got a lot of the troops back, so to speak. And, and yeah, that should make for uh, a nice uh, recipe for expectations heading into 23-24. So, yeah, a couple pickups, and uh, we'll see You know what else occurs, obviously, moving forward. But they've been... Uh, quick to to make the adjustments needed to this roster, it seems like. So that bodes well, and uh, we'll see what happens there. So uh, there's a little bit of transfer portal for both the the men's and women's teams, um, and how that's you know been working so far for each. We don't really know yet with the Baylor men as far as like the the targets in the transfer portal, so to speak, as far as or do we? Well, Jade Nunn was one. J- or the, Jade Nunn, excuse yeah, me, the VCU uh, you just, Yeah, you just mentioned that he's one. Um, I don't know that we know other specific targets, but right. we know Tyler Perry has been um, has been talking to Baylor mm-hmm. at least has been in contact. He was the North Texas transfer, so there's a couple that we know have been in contact with Baylor. Uh, Kel L. Ware uh, transferred from Oregon to IU. He made his decision. He was another one who Baylor loved out of high school, so there was thought that maybe they'd go back there. Uh, but I think them not really going after him hard kind of speaks even more to the fact that I think they feel confident that Eve's Missy will reclassify at some point from 2024 to 2023, which means he would be on the roster next year. Yeah, and I apologize. You did touch on that. And I'm more or less, I guess, we don't know like what the actual additions are going to be at this point. The women have kind of already gone and attacked and filled up some spots, but the, the men still... Mm -hmm. touch and go as far as how that eventually works out. And obviously some other decisions will play into uh, how much they go forth with roster spots and, and what they might be looking for. So uh, that all rolls on along. Uh, Meanwhile, you had softball picking up uh, some huge wins over Tennessee last week, a couple of top five wins over the Vols in Knoxville for Glenmore and softball. Uh, Baylor baseball gets a series weekend win over the Oklahoma Sooners, who are now the last place team in the Big 12. Baylor was in the cellar. Now they're just bare like their heads out of the cellar, and Oklahoma's fully down there. Uh, but that could obviously flip by the end of the week. But, I mean, at least nice to see them fighting and scratching and clawing as best they can. They're obviously not the best team in the world. Uh, but they're scrappy, and they're doing the best with what they have. Meanwhile, the softball team is pretty dang good, although they're in a conference with two schools in uh, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State who are arguably the best in the country. So uh, they do have that kind of juggernaut within the conference. But uh, both the Diamond Sports performing uh, you know, pretty well last weekend. And then sort of a mixed bag across the rest from tennis to track and field. Uh, A&T keeps winning, and they close their regular season. You can catch a lot of that in the Good, Bad, the Ugly each Monday uh, that I have over on Sikkim365.com if you want a little taste of just what else is going on across the full landscape of all the other sports there. Uh, so anything before we get into the mailbag here, Grayson? No, but I mean, I'm excited for Baylor baseball versus Texas this weekend. Yeah. That's going to be a really interesting and tough series. Um, but one that they, you know, Baylor's shown a lot of fight. They won a couple series home. now, Oklahoma and K-State. Yeah. They still, I, I don't <laughs> believe they have a win on the road yet still. I think they're 0-9. No, they're not road warriors. No. Uh, they play Dallas Baptist on Tuesday, hoping they can get off the snide a little bit as far as their road woes. Um, but yeah, I you know, they might be able to take 
the series against Texas, if they come out and play as well as they did versus Oklahoma, at least push them a little bit, maybe win a game. Um, but I'm excited. It should add a little bit more fire to this rivalry, and it's nice to see Baylor baseball at least playing better, right, playing more competitively. Yeah, I mean, just being competitive, I think, is, you know, they were picked to finish last in the conference. They're right on track to possibly do that. Uh, Oklahoma, however, is, like I just mentioned, in last place as of now. There's still a lot of games left to play, though. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a year one where you were expecting them to be in Omaha or to compete for the title necessarily in, in just the Big 12. So we'll see. Uh, a lot of change, a lot of, uh, you know, just learning. I think a lot of just figuring things out. And, you know, a lot of other teams that were set up far better. So give it some time. Got to let, got to, you know, water and, you know, take care of the seeds and let them grow. And I think Mitch Thompson's in the process of doing that right now. But, yeah, softball's doing great. Um, and, you know, like I said, just kind of depends on where you look elsewhere as far as successes or, you know, what have you um, in the in the rest of the sports. But, uh, yeah, spring is, is starting to get to the, kind of the, the turning point here of where we're winding down. And pretty soon I'll have to figure out another article to write because we won't have enough sports to even have a good, bad, ugly each week. But uh, still a little bit of a ways to go uh, this spring. All right, uh, so getting to some mailbag questions here from the site. Uh, Jack and DP leads us off. Is NIL keeping Baylor from getting commits from high school quarterbacks? Some. Like, I mean, it, some guys are falling into that category, but not all of them. Like, it, it's... Haas Haney, for instance, coming to TCU, his family went there. Like that's he's got ties to that TCU program. They were not gonna land Michael Hawkins, who committed to Oklahoma. Mm. They shifted their focus to Haas Haney. When he got that offer, it it was a tough offer for him to ignore. And so that's one where no, not NIL. Um, but if you look at other ones, yeah, I would say that some of those other recruitments have been heavily focused on NIL. I mean, if you wanna dive into one you know florida just offered a quarterback what 13 million that didn't go through yeah Um, and then they landed dj lagway in this class so and that hurts too because he's been very vocal for them man he is always on twitter he's always on twitter he's recruiting guys to the gators and and that's i think that's the one thing grayson about not having a high school quarterback is you don't have that that ringleader like that's that's the one thing that not all quarterback commits are the leaders Mm -hmm. of classes i understand that sometimes it's a linebacker or whatever but it does seem like if there is an area where you could be kind of missing out because nova side before he was you know elsewhere he was a mixed bag but we've seen other guys who are like leading the charge and i think they've kind of been missing that a little bit i don't think they've had one like that I can't like name ever. I can't name the last one that they had that was a true ringleader of a class. Because I mean, if you look at it, so Stidham, they landed so late in the cycle. Yeah, that didn't help at all. Charlie Brewer, they landed late in the cycle right. once again. Um, Blake Shapen, late in the cycle. Yeah. Um, Jacob Zeno's maybe one of the better examples. Gary took his time with committing. Um, they really haven't had that. So, I mean, yes, well, I understand what you're saying because you would love to have a quarterback that's all bought in and then wants to go recruit a lot of guys. Like DJ Lagway. Yeah, yeah. yeah like Lagway's been. And then, obviously, if he had committed to Baylor, he's a Baylor guy. I mean, his dad played at Baylor. So, um, yeah, re- I mean, it's tough. Austin wasn't really like that. He wasn't the biggest recruiter ever, and I guess for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, but- Good thing he didn't like all those guys or who he could have, uh, you know, 
kind of fooled, I guess, along the way. It's good that they, they avoided that. But I think, too, it's like it's just like a beacon to look towards. It's like if you have that jewel of your class, your quarterback yeah. commit, that guys who are buying in are like, okay, we're, we're a little more solidified mm-hmm. because there's that guy already in place. Whereas if you don't really have the quarter, it just feels like there's like a, a, a piece of the glue missing a yeah. little bit. And I think Haney is going to be a guy that you're going to see very active for TCU, and he was the guy that I believe Baylor wanted. Um, that they really wanted between he and Deuce Adams, who made their decisions last week. So it's tough. That part of it is tough. You'd love to have that. There's still time for that to actually happen. It's still April, but, I mean, they just they don't even have an offer out right now to a guy that's seriously considering Baylor who's not committed elsewhere. So Jack and DP, it absolutely is having some effect. You can argue to what extent it's having an effect. But, yes, NIL is having an effect on the high with school the quarterbacks. Tier, the yeah, with the top, quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, and not. And I, I, I'm sure there's been conversations where, like, your not Ohio State level of school is probably having a conversation with just some regular old 3A quarterback who's, like, talking NIL, and they're like, what? I mean, yeah. like, because there's definitely going to be a trickle down where now everybody just thinks that's the norm. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think we're at that point where that's the norm, where if you're just a quarterback that you're automatically able to talk NIL dollars. Mm-hmm. But that certainly is the case for the top level of of guys and probably top, you know, 1B level of guys as well, because that is an important position. But, yeah, it's not an automatic for everybody. Uh, Pawpaw Bear, women's softball keeps winning big games. What is your expectation for this year's team now in Big 12 rankings? Well, I mean, they're 2-4 and four in the Big 12, and they still have a series that I believe is at Oklahoma, I think is on the agenda. So, I mean, let's say they go through, they sweep Texas Tech, and they sweep Iowa State possible um then they still have games against oklahoma and texas actually those games are at home so i mean they could win those series i guess but my expectation is for them to finish third i think they'll be behind oklahoma and oklahoma state by the end of it um it's just hard to lose games here and there like they lost a game to kansas they can't really lose those type of games if you want to win the big 12 because oklahoma state's sitting there at six and oh ou's nine and oh and then texas is six and three um, but those two schools with no losses, I think we'll finish ahead of Baylor. But if you finish third behind two teams that are what both top three in the country, I mean, that's a pretty good spot to be. Yeah, they're, they're really good, but they're not Oklahoma and Oklahoma state level of good. And I don't know how close they are to Texas. Uh, I mean, right now there's a bit of a gap as far as the record goes. Like they have some, some room to catch up to third place, but it's doable. It's certainly doable. Um, they got the big win over Oklahoma in their year. I think that they're a victim of being uh, overshadowed by like really good team. Like they're they're a good team that has a couple of like really good teams. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it has a couple of possibly great teams that are just in the same room with them. And so um, there is not as much of a climb maybe for some others of their level in other conferences because they just are they've got some really good programs in front of them in, in the two Oklahoma schools and then Texas as well so um, yeah I mean there's room to to make up some ground but winning the Big 12 doesn't seem likely given the uh, the competition yeah it's just the current standings but I mean beating a top four team twice on the road is great that's, yeah that's a pretty big deal they have some really good wins it's just they also have a couple losses that you're that keep you from being that elite top team in the Big 12. And, you know, they still get chances, though. They get to play Oklahoma and Texas. If you can win those two series, you could find yourself closer to the top. 
Yeah, they got Louisiana and ACU this week, and then Texas Tech. So five games, depending on how they come out of that. Uh, you would like to take care of business out in Lubbock, certainly against uh, the Texters, who are right now two and seven. So they're they just played three more games than you. They all happen to be losses, and that's the difference between you and Tech in the standings. So you could create some real separation there. Um, but then, yeah, it's Oklahoma, and then. You know, twenty eight and fifteen tech is, but just yeah, they're not terrible. No, they're not terrible. There's, it's not, it's not Oklahoma, uh, who is now the winner of twenty eight (laughs) straight games. Uh, They are pretty dang good at nine and zero in the conference. So yeah, Oklahoma still left, Texas still left. Uh, They definitely have some room to catch up and make up some ground. Um, But I'd, I'd say like a third ish place finish think it'll come down to them in texas behind the oklahoma schools and mm-hmm. and that'll still be respectable and that'll be great Papa. so do appreciate the question uh bear love 89 and i don't know about postseason and all that just yet a lot of stuff to to fill in blank wise on on what that could look like yeah uh before having and too much of a formed opinion on that qu- quickly scotty b i guess put questions about like chris johnson bryce petty nick florence as far as being recruits for their classes i can't really speak on nick florence or chris johnson but petty was another late addition who was a gray shirt so mm-hmm. i i don't think he was very impactful in recruitments either um yeah just, i don't you know, know what i mean yeah i mean to, to what level guys were big recruiters i don't know but i'm just speaking more to if you see dj lagway on twitter or just your typical mm-hmm. idea of a quarterback recruit that's kind of your glue to It'd your class nice. and that's yeah. your pull for a lot of guys and and so maybe they haven't had that many but they have had their fair share of high school quarterbacks i will say though a bryce petty a seth russell they're millionaires in this day and age if you move them up 10 years to this to where they were at that point in time, being in that same position these days, Bryce Petty's getting an offer from some other school uh, for probably several hundred thousand dollars to come join them in the transfer portal. That's the difference is in holding on to guys and developing a quarterback room. Mm-hmm. As Seth Russell can say in hindsight, oh, yeah, I would have st- stood at Baylor and stuck it out and waited years. Sounds good, but in reality – if you were in the transfer era, Seth Russell would have had teams knocking down his door, yeah. telling him, like, why are you waiting? Bryce Petty, same thing. Uh, get on over to Tennessee or to, to wherever for NIL money. But uh, they didn't have to worry about that back then. So that's that's definitely a feather in the cap that the old way of doing things had as far as developing a quarterback room versus trying to just handle signing a high school guy these days. It's a, it's a very different world than just a decade for sure. But... Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, those were some names they were able to, to pile up and, and hold on to for sure. Uh, Bear Love 89, who at the Jack has the highest ceiling? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go with my top recruit in the 2022 class, Kyan Roberts Day. Um, I think that he is a fantastic athlete. I think he's a guy who, when you look at his testing numbers, everything stands out to you. And now he's finally on the defensive side. I think that fits his game really well. And so I'm really intrigued by it. Um, Garmin Randolph is a guy I had high hopes for. I think he could have a really good season this year, but he doesn't have a lot of time left at Baylor. So ceiling-wise, I'll go with Kyan Roberts Day. Dak, JD, 90, is there a way that we judge Shapin's improvement with ball security in a practice setting? I mean, is there a way that we, the media, judge that? Or is there a way that I think just coaching speaking staff, in general, just we I mean, as people judge Shapin? I mean, I, I, I'm assuming I, he's asking people who are at practice. So, like us, I guess, how do we judge, judge Shapin's it. improvement? I mean, I, I think that 
the only way we can really judge that is when it's in a live game setting, which we don't get to see a lot of. So then the answer is no, because he's like, is there a way that we judge Shapin's improvement with ball security in a practice setting? So the answer is no. Right. I guess from a coaching perspective, you get to see it during live scrimmages and actually getting to see that. So, yeah, there's no way for us to judge it, but we can go off of that and what we hear because we also have sources as well. And so those type of things all kind of contribute to the picture that we get as well as watching the spring game. I mean, you put all those things together, and I'm sure we'll figure out a way to see if Shapin's improved ball security-wise. Yeah, I mean, Dacky, in practice, to answer your question like a little further, uh, we don't get like you know scrimmage time or things like that to see like a real competitive rep. Um, there's not a lot of like one-on-ones and you know things like that, so it's mostly like positional drills. So it's impossible for us to really have any sort of a grasp on how many interceptions he's throwing. Unless it's somebody who's informing, yeah. you know, um, through back channels. So that's how they, they do it. But, yeah, we don't have insight into that part of it outside of, you know, what people say. And so that's that's what we go off of. Um, and that's what we have as far as, uh, you know, evidence to, to roll with. But certainly um, the coaches have a lot better idea than, than probably even what we're being told and, you know, mm-hmm. um, how their opinions are forming. Uh, we'll we'll see ultimately when they make that call, but but yeah, that's that's the best way is just to kind of see the competitive reps, but we don't get a lot of that uh, outside of the the talk as I mentioned. Scotty B. the Baylor King. In terms of percentage, what is the likelihood for softball to be a top sixteen seed in the NCAA tournament? In your opinion, I'm curious because three top five wins this season and six more games against probable top fifteen opponents left on the schedule. Yeah, I'm gonna put that at like seventy percent. Because they get a lot of opportunities coming up with Oklahoma and Texas still on the schedule. You get the tournament as well. I'll put it at 70%. I think this is a really good team, and I, I think they're going to win quite a few more games to close things out. And I think if the season ended today, they'd be a top 16 seed after these wins over Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, just going off the rankings, they would be uh, right now. So with Oklahoma still to come and Texas still to come and some other games you know, sandwiched all around that, I think they should – make out about where they are now. Um, you know, hopefully they don't, you know, go like 0-6 against the Sooners and Longhorns. That wouldn't be great. Um, and I think they will do better than that. But I'm also not expecting them to, like, go insane and go, like, 5-1 and one either. So um, I think they're about probably where they, they'll they finish um, in so many ways. And, yeah, that would, would seem to be a top 16 seed. So I think the chances uh, are pretty good, and 70% sounds – uh, okay to me without going too overboard with it. Enable, what do you look for when uh, you look for standouts and practices for football? Yeah, I would say a lot of it has to do with guys looking more agile, guys looking better as far as weight. I think that's a big thing. Um, you can tell season to season, rep to rep, how guys look, how much they've improved, and I think that's a big part of it. Confidence is another part of it. Um, but I, I mainly look at how guys move. Um, because that changes year by year, and that's something that continues to um, either it, it really does make or break guys how you move on the field. Because guys who aren't comfortable, you can really tell. And so, yeah, that that's kind of the main thing. You know, I'll look at reps on various drills to see if guys are performing better, like getting off blocks or separating from coverage or making throws that maybe they didn't make a year ago or how they're running routes. Everything like that is kind of what we look for in practice. Um, and I think they're the most important things. Thank you for the question, Enable, and hopefully that uh, was, was what you were looking for. Uh, Bear for Cleats will close us out this week. 
Will the spring game be televised on ESPN Plus, or will it only be available for a rebroadcast at a later date? It'll be on ESPN Plus. Uh, do you know what the attendance expectations are for the spring game? Given the way the season ended, I'm curious if this will damper attendance in any way. Uh, I don't know that there are any expectations for spring. They're certainly not trying to do it like Oklahoma, you know, setting attendance records or Nebraska or Colorado, you know, with new coaches really hyping it up. Uh, you know, they've been talking about Dion and like the, what is like however many tens of thousands of spring game tickets that they sold. And, and, you know, like if he's doing that in year three, then maybe that's part of their marketing that they just end up doing there. But also a lot of that is like the brand newness of Matt rule and just being excited or Dion or whatever. Um, there's not really that situation here, uh, coming off of last season. I do think that probably dampers some attendance in some ways, as far as like an excitement level goes, maybe. Um, but I also don't feel like they're really pushing it that hard. And they're certainly not trying to set any records based on the lack of promotion for the green and gold game. It seems like it's just kind of your typical spring game affair, nothing too, too decorated or dressed up. It's never really that crazy. The spring game's usually pretty tame at Baylor, at least. Um, I haven't seen huge numbers ever when I've gone. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it'll probably be a low number. What, I mean, what would you even guess? Like maybe, I don't know, in the 10,000 range oh, probably, is the most yeah, they ever 10. really have. Maybe even less, honestly. Yeah, I, I like it, seven or eight. All depends on weather, too, um, yeah. and just kind of what weekend it falls on. But yeah, I'm like maybe 10,000 people. I don't, I'm not good about kind of looking at a stadium yeah. and judging numbers like that. But yeah, like maybe 10,000, give or take. Uh, certainly not like 20 or no, anything crazy no, like no, that. No, no, no. It's not, not they a never big never even open up the top. Yeah, I it's mean. not a big deal like that around, around Baylor. So. Expecting more of the norm, so yeah, like maybe eight, nine thousand people yeah. show up, but that's that's just kind of the way that it's always been. And I don't know, I'm trying to think of like maybe towards the end of like the the Art Briles era that maybe they started to kind of try to make that a bigger deal. I can't remember though because they were just starting to hit such a stride that like everything was starting to matter a bit more, and they were promoting it more, and recruiting was better and. And then, like, they took a big step back where yeah. it's like, don't look at us. <laughs> you know, like, we don't want attention, basically. Um, and then Matt Rule kind of tried to get the excitement drummed up again, but I don't really remember them making the spring game, like, a massive deal, really, ever, no matter what the, the staff was. Uh, so, and certainly not with Aranda. They haven't tried to make it a huge deal. So, yeah. Um, Unfortunately. Yeah, right. it's just kind of what it is. I mean, it's okay. It, it's fine because I I think it too would be sort of a probably a waste of time to do. It would be. I mean, what you were trying to do elsewhere at, at bigger schools right. where you can draw a few ten more thousand tens of thousands more. It's a people. lot easier. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so hopefully that answered your question. Uh, if you're hoping to show up and find a seat, you're in luck. You will be able to do that with ease, and you'll be able to find a pretty good one at that. But it's pretty laid back. I do like that. Is you know, think of like. People do just show up, and you can stretch your legs, and it's not too serious because it's not like a whole formatted thing, really. And that is one thing that I do like about it. It's very casual, and they don't try to dress it up and make too much of it. Uh, But with the topic that was in the news this past week, and it's been one for years and years, I remember talking to Smokey about this like 10 years ago, 
but the whole spring game scrimmage. Mm-hmm. If they ever did that, then yeah, you would gussy it up and probably make it a bigger deal scrimmaging another school. Right. Um, but Hugh Freeze mentioned that this week. Yeah, and that's nothing new. I think because it's Hugh Freeze, it's an right. even bigger deal. But that has been talked about for years and years, and there are a lot of coaches in favor of it. I want to say that Matt Rule, we asked him about that on a couple of different occasions. I believe he was in favor of it. Um, I don't know if we've ever asked Aranda about that, um, but maybe we will uh, the next time we get to talk to him. So we'll see if that's the the thing in the future, but that would certainly pull in some more people, but that's not the case right now. So uh, there we go. Mailbag, appreciate everybody who was a part of that. Uh, Grayson, any parting words here? No, I would just say if you aren't a premium subscriber, please consider becoming one. We have all kinds of news, content. Um, We're going to be talking a lot of spring football, a lot of transfer portal talk as well. I mean, now might not be... There might not be a better time to honestly join them for this next month or so because it's going to be pretty hectic on the men's basketball and transfer portal trail. So keep an eye on that. And then, of course, 365 Sports Radio, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6. Be sure to check that out, um, Craig, Smokey, and Paul as well. Yes, and I'll be out at practice later on the day. We'll have some stuff to... Uh, right about Grayson will be out there as well. So, uh, yeah, definitely stay locked into the website. And we'll also be in and out of the radio show as well, starting at 3 o'clock, uh, along with Garrett and Smokey and Paul. Garrett, appreciate you as always. Him Thank you. Uh, doing his thing behind the scenes. Garrett Ross, Grayson Grunhafer. I'm Craig Smoke. Appreciate you as always. We'll catch you again outside of the, the 3 o'clock show and the articles here for the BearCast uh, each Tuesday at noon central do appreciate those of you who tune in or listen later on hit like hit subscribe we appreciate the support talk to you next time